And we are back at it here on another Sunday afternoon. The number to get hold of us, uh, Savannah, anytime, Ashley, is 416-216-5910. You can email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We always start our show. Savannah, with the week that was, how was it? It was another busy week, mm-hmm. John. Uh, let me tell you about a couple of cases, uh, a couple of people who called me up. Uh, so this case is a, one of those pedestrian versus car situations. Uh, we, we're, we're hearing more and more about these instances, uh, people getting hit by cars when they're crossing the street. So uh, this lady called me because her husband was injured uh, when he was trying to cross a street. Uh, he, he, was, he was hit by a car that was trying to make a right-hand turn. This happened about four months ago. Uh, her husband tore his right shoulder and he needed surgery. Mm. Now, he's a software developer, 48 years old, uh, and the company is giving him some time off, but he thinks he can try to get back to work and he wants to know how that would affect his case. And that's a question that I oftentimes hear. Unfortunately, there are lawyers out there who tell their clients, you know, stay home, stay home. Even if you can go back to work, It'll just look stay bad. home. It's going to look yeah. bad if you, uh, you know, if you go back to work. It's going to diminish your claim significantly. It's, right. it's going to make you get less money at the end. That well, would be the knee-jerk reaction. That's, right that right. is the For knee-jerk sure. reaction. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why insurance companies, uh, companies are so skeptical uh, with many personal injury claims because this is the advice that people are getting, unfortunately. Uh, well, my advice to people in that situation is if you can go back to work and you have, if you are clear to go back to work in any capacity, whether it's part-time, modified duties, uh, if you were full-time before, now you can do two hours a day, something like that, and your doctors have cleared you, go ahead and try. Again, you have to be comfortable with, uh, with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, your doctors have to be comfortable with it. And, and, and let me position it this way to you, John. If you are the insurance adjuster and you have a claim on your desk – and here you're dealing with a case where somebody who has a significant injury, like this shoulder tear, yep. and then you see that a few months later, the person is trying to get back on the horse. They're trying to get back to work. They're not there full time, but they're trying. So they're earning some money. What's your impression going to be of this claim? You're going to like think, they're an honorable person. Yeah, right? honorable person, right. uh, legitimate claim. The person is clearly trying to get better. So again, it gives you credibility. And many of these cases are lost or won on credibility. Wow, it's no central. Kidding. In fact, that's one of the few things that many plaintiff and defense lawyers will agree on, that credibility is often the key to these cases. The more credible your case is, the more credible you appear to the other side, the more likely it is that you're going to get compensation. So word to the wise for people out there, uh, if you've been told by your lawyer, your paralegal, whoever's representing you, uh, don't go to work, just stay at home. When you think that you can go back and you feel comfortable going back and you're clear to go back, that's the wrong advice. Very, very important to understand. Give me your next case. Okay, next case. So mm-hmm. this is uh, a gentleman who's 32 years old, uh, called me from Barry. He was at a concert about a year ago. There was commotion at the end of the concert. Yep. People were trying to get out. They were pushing each other. There was not enough security that was hired by the venue. And the man who called me was pushed to the wall. Unfortunately, he hit his head on the wall. Uh, he suffered a fairly severe concussion, which again, as we spoke about before and I explained a concussion is a form of brain injury. Uh, it can be a temporary brain injury, but it's a brain injury. Yep. And he's still experiencing a year later memory and concentration issues. He's had difficulties with work. Now, he's a mechanic. He's had to take time off. The question he had is who's responsible for this because he doesn't know who pushed him. He does know, however, there were a lot of complaints about the fact that there was inadequate security. Now, when he's asking me who's at fault here, clearly I have to analyze legally who is at fault. Is it the person who pushed him? Is it the venue for not hiring enough security? Was there enough security? 
Uh, so it's very, very important to do due diligence here and to contact the venue to find out, for example, if they had hired a special security company. Perhaps that security company did not provide uh, enough bodies, enough bodies yeah. proper training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So very, very important in these kinds of cases to make sure you do all due diligence before you start a claim to find out who exactly are the potential targets here, who didn't do their job, and as a result, this person was injured. And we're going to take care of that. That's not a problem. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, especially when I worked as a defense lawyer for insurance companies, I would see situations where lawyers would start claims against either the wrong parties – which is really amazing to me, or they would not bring in all of the necessary parties. So think about it this way. You start a claim against one entity, let's say the venue here, but let's say the venue had contracted with a company that was supposed to supply the security. Sure. But they're not, not in the claim. So now you have only one pocket, one insurance company to deal with, as opposed to two insurance companies. So the settlement at the end of the day is going to be a bit more difficult because the insurance company for the venue is going to say, well, you don't have the other party, the other insurance company. And that could be a bigger claim, really. It could be a bigger claim. It, it, it could be, it could be you know, one of those cases where it's a 50-50 split. The point is that if you don't add all the parties to the claim, uh, you could potentially, first of all, uh, get less at the end of the day. And second yeah. of all, it's going to delay your matter because it could be that at some point down the road, you're going to have to bring that other party in. Which means that the process, it's, it's to some Can extent you do that, resets. though, if it's well underway? If it's all, oh, hang on, we got another party to introduce here. Can they do that? What's a fantastic, judge going to say? Fantastic question. Right. And, and it all depends on the limitation period. What right. happens if uh, you are now, let's say, three years down the road, you've started a claim against one of the parties. You should have known that there was another party, but you failed to start a claim against them. Keep in mind, John, we got two years in Ontario to start claims. Right. So you could be out of luck now for starting a claim against the other party. So now, now you or your client is prejudiced because you only have one pocket to go after. And, you know, if it, this goes all the way to court, which, again, most of these cases never get to court. But yeah. if you do, you could be in a situation where a judge or a jury is going to say uh, liability here doesn't fall with the venue. It falls with whoever was responsible for security. And they're not on your claim. Exactly. Brutal. Extremely important to do this uh, right from the beginning. We'll take a uh, quick break. Want to talk about InjuryCalculator.ca. We'll run through a couple of examples. This is an amazing tool. If you've uh, not experienced or heard about it, we'll get to that here as well. 416-216-5910 is Savan's number. You want to go to help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show coming up right here on Talk Radio, AM 640. When this show is not on the air on this radio station at this time, you can get a hold of Savannah a couple different ways, 416-216-5910 for any of your questions or concerns, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca is the email. Let's talk about the injury calculator. Run through it. I love this. So this is the online tool that we created a few months back, my team and I, uh, and this allows people to go online to injurycalculator.ca input a few pieces of information, and then get a result that shows them Mm -hmm. the range of dollar value, uh, pain and suffering that they could potentially get as a result of of their injuries. Uh, So if you have back pain because of an accident, if you have a shoulder issue, a neck issue, a concussion, whatever it is, you can input the information. Uh, It's absolutely free. Uh, It's anonymous. It takes literally 30 seconds or less. You input the information, and it gives you uh, that information that you need. It gives you that range, the dollar value you could potentially be looking at if, if uh, in fact, you start a claim, if somebody was responsible for your injuries. Uh, very important to, to note that uh, we did not just come up with those numbers out of thin air. Uh, this is based on 
hundreds of hours of work of researching legal databases across uh, Canada and, and figuring out what, what judges have said in similar situations and similar cases mm-hmm. uh, with people with similar injuries. Uh, and looking and in those cases, what judges have awarded individuals who suffered those injuries. So let's let's uh, let's try. Let's uh, run through it. Let's Give run her a run. It. Okay. So you go to injurycalculator.ca. Okay. You click on Get Started Now. Yes. It asks you for the accident date. So you input that. It asks you for for the location. So let's say it's Toronto. How old are you? Let's say forty. Yeah. What was the cause of your injury? Car accident. Car accident's say. good. Uh, who was at fault? Someone else was Someone at else fault. Someone else was always. It's asking you always. <laughs> it's asking you uh, did the injury affect your income? Yes. For some people, it's yes. So then you say, how did it impact the income? Let's say I'm not working at all because of my injury. Yep. Okay, clicking on that, pressing continue. Uh, at that point, it's going to ask you uh, the primary injury that you suffered. Is it your neck, your shoulder, your leg? Uh, is it uh, paralysis? Is it let's the do head? Neck. neck. Neck is good. All right, so let's click on neck. Let me just find it. Okay, continue. Now it's asking you, uh, did you sprain, strain, or you bruise your neck, or did you fracture your neck? Uh, we're going to say fracture this time. Okay, serious Let's injury. go large. Absolutely. You press continue. Yeah. It's going to tell you that uh, according to our survey of Canadian cases. This, by the way, took about 45 seconds. That's it. 45 seconds. You we have I mean? to run through it faster next time. <laughs> uh, you may be entitled to 200000 wow. to $326,000 for your pain and suffering. Just pain and suffering. Just you got to make that point, right? Exactly. Okay. I mean, imagine this. Imagine you have a 40-year-old gentleman mm-hmm. uh, or, or lady who have fractured their neck. Imagine they can't work. This is what they're looking at, 200000 to 326000 for the pain and suffering. But what about the income loss they're going to sustain? Because it's potentially you know, a quarter of a century not being able to work if it's that severe, right? Exactly. 25 years exactly. Time, I mean, listen, if, let's say the person was making $40,000 a year. Just sure. do the math for the next yeah. 25 years or maybe 30 years. Huh. And, and then you got to look into other factors. I mean, maybe they need to, you know, help at home. Presumably they do. So you're going to factor that in. That could easily be a claim that's in excess of a million dollars, probably several million dollars. So again... The, the cool thing about this uh, this this online tool that we've created is that it allows you to at least get an idea of the pain and suffering value yep. that you could get if you start a claim. Injurycalculator.ca. Check it out when you got to, got a moment. Possibly you could use it yourself. Hopefully not anytime soon, but it's there if you do need. Let's get to an email. By the way, the email address is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Got John, to, before we go, oh, yeah, I'm sorry okay. to interrupt you. Let me just uh, say something. I've actually been receiving quite a lot of these submissions to the injury calculator okay. after the show when people hear about it and tell their friends. You know, the number one problem that I see with submissions, and when I, when, I mean, when I say submissions, I mean that after you get the value, you can email me. Which is cool. Yeah. F- for a free consultation so I can actually give you a more rounded uh, uh, estimate of what mm-hmm. you can be looking at. And, and most of the time when I get these submissions, the biggest problem I see is that uh, the two-year limitation is up. In other words, people are looking up injuries that they've suffered three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Oh, you can't really? do anything, right? Okay. Remember, you have two years from the date of the accident to start a claim. So don't wait. Or if you know somebody who was in an accident and and potentially could be claiming against whoever was at fault, don't wait. Tell them to do it right now, to go to that website or to contact me. Yeah. So uh, let's get to that email. Like I mentioned, Sarah from Barry says, I was riding my bicycle on the street about a month ago, and a car that tried to pass me hit me, and I fell off the bike, uh, broke my ankle, had surgery. Is the accident my fault or the driver's? 
Oh boy! Well, there's been a battle here in Toronto between uh, cyclists and ongoing, and, right? uh, ongoing, yeah. and and drivers. Uh, well, Sarah, it's really fact specific. It really depends. If the car tried to pass you, if if you were traveling in accordance with the rules of the road, and and the car simply tried to pass you, but it was too tight and, and caused you to fall, the car uh, driver is going to be held liable for the accident. I mean, subject to any arguments that you did something wrong. Uh, an injured ankle requiring surgery, that's that's a very uh, a significant injury. You could yep. potentially develop arthritis, osteoarthritis, a whole bunch of conditions down the road. Uh, you should do something about this. So give me a call off air or email me and we'll talk about it. But if, if you follow the rules of the road and somebody tried to pass you and, and struck you, they're going to be held at fault for the accident. Sarah, that number is 416-216-5910. If it was Sarah's fault, uh, say she she was on her bike, in this scenario she has car insurance. How does she make a claim? Can well, she make a claim? She can, yeah. Actually, the um, so so if she has her own auto insurance, she's mm-hmm. gonna ha- she's gonna be able to get accident benefits from her own insurance company. So if she needs treatments, uh, she's not going to be in the minor injury guideline because uh, she she broke something. Uh, remember, I told you that uh, if you're in a car accident or you're injured by a car, uh, the first thing your insurance company is looking at is. Did you break something? Right. Did you tear something? Is the injury severe? If it's not severe, if you didn't break something, for example, you're going to get up to $3,500. The MIG. The MIG, the minor injury guideline. You're going to yep. be placed into that category. So you have $3,500 to use for treatments. Uh, but if you broke something the way Sarah did, she's going to get up to $50,000 for treatments. We'll take a short break. want to get into something we haven't talked about yet on the show in the last year, and that is accident tickets. So we'll get to that. Uh, your uh, questions, we can answer those. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And you want to call Savannah outside of show hours, you can leave a message to 416-216-5910, the insurance and injury law show on Talk Radio AM 640. You can contact Savannah anytime, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca if you care to use Email, we want to get into this, my friend. We're talking about uh, accident tickets. A few questions have come through over the last few months, so we're going to uh, kind of narrow uh, a few of them down and throw them at you here live on the show today. So here's one right here. If no one got a ticket after an accident, does that mean that an injured person can't make a claim for his injuries? No, it does not mean that. Okay. In fact, many times people don't get uh, tickets for an accident. So you, so you have, let's say, a two-car collision, uh, but no one was charged uh, for anything. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that whoever gets injured uh, can't make a claim, first of all, with, with his or her uh, insurance company for accident benefits, right, for no-fault benefits, like treatments, income replacement benefits, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say that uh, we were in an accident, John, you and I, and uh, you know the police comes and we're giving different stories to the police. Always, the always. police officer doesn't necessarily know who was at fault, so the police officer doesn't charge either of us. Uh, if I'm injured, I can still make a claim against you. I still I have to prove that you were at fault, but the fact that you didn't get a ticket doesn't mean that uh, civilly you're not going to be held liable for my uh, injuries. So very important to understand that the fact that there are no tickets that were given, that does not mean that uh, you can't make a claim for, for personal injuries. Is it tougher to do? Uh, no, not necessarily. Wow. In fact, I'll tell you this. It's, it's, I've had situations where uh, uh, my, my uh, 
uh, client uh, told me that the other side was charged. And in fact, the, the other person was charged, but then that person fought the charge in court uh, and, and, and was able to, to uh, get the charge thrown out. That was irrelevant for my purpose. I mean, the fact that the person got charged doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get convicted. Right. Many people who get charged or get ticketed, they go to uh, ex-coppers or one of those. So, no, the fact that you have a ticket or don't have a ticket, that doesn't really change anything from, from my point of view when I start a claim against you for my client's injuries. If someone did get a ticket after an accident, is that person automatically 100% responsible for the accident? Very, very good uh, point as well. No, they're not. Right. Uh, first of all, let's say, let's say for, for sake of argument that you got a ticket for that accident that we had and you try to fight it and you still got convicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say there is an independent witness that says that, you know what, even though you were at fault, I could have avoided the accident somehow. Maybe you did a, a left turn uh, uh, on an intersection that you were not supposed to. But there is a witness that says that, you know what, I actually, uh, I, I was in enough of a distance from you that I could have done something to avoid the or accident. stop sooner or something. You like got that. it. So maybe you'll be held <laughs> responsible for the accident, but it doesn't mean that I don't share some responsibility. So maybe I'm being held uh, 20% liable, but you still have 80% responsibility on your end. So perhaps if my damages are worth $100,000, Perhaps you only have to pay me or your insurance company will pay me $80,000. Right. Okay, so very important to understand that getting a ticket or getting charged uh, doesn't mean that you're automatically are able to make a claim. It's all or right. nothing, no. Right. And many times you have the split liability where two, three, four people may be at fault for the accident in varying degrees. 416-216-5910 is Savannah's number. You want to go to help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. Talking about accident tickets and the questions surrounding that. If someone uh, gets a ticket after an accident in which they are injured, can they uh, can they get any benefits? Absolutely. And that happens quite often as well, yep. where a person is, in fact, at fault for the accident, where they got a ticket indicating that they're at fault, uh, and they're asking, what about uh, the fact that I can't work? Well, keep in mind, if you are injured in a car accident or as a result of being hit by a car, if you have your own auto insurer, those are called no-fault benefits. You are entitled to benefits from your insurance company regardless of fault, hence the phrase no-fault benefits. Okay, It's irrelevant. Uh, so if you broke something or if you uh, have whiplash or anything like that that happened, irrespective of whether you're at fault, you can access those benefits from your own insurance company. As to whether or not you can make a claim for those injuries as against whoever, uh, whoever else was yep. involved in the accident, that's a different story. That we have to establish that the other person was at fault for the accident for that. We'll get to an email now from Laura from Aurelia. says a friend of mine was in a car accident about four, uh, 40 years ago and told her that uh, her case has to go to trial. She is terrified. doesn't want to go to trial. She wants to accept the settlement, but her lawyer is pressuring her to go to court, said uh, that if he uh, goes to court all the time, she shouldn't worry. It's all about uh, well, what if she does. So what do you think uh, she should do in that case? The lawyer's like, yeah. She's like, no. <laughs> Basically, yeah, right? this, is, this, is, uh, this is a huge fear that many people have, right, going to court. I mean, it's, it's a scary process. Uh, it, it's very time-consuming. scary room. It's yeah. a scary room. Well, here's something that most people don't know, and they have a misconception about these kinds of claims because they watch a lot of TV where, you know, the drama happens in the courtroom. The reality is that most, most of these cases never see a courtroom or even get close to seeing a courtroom. Extremely important to understand that out of all these cases, all these injury claims that happen out there, a very small percentage actually makes it to court. And if you have a lawyer, by the way, who tells you, uh, listen, I've done numerous court cases and I, all I do is just go to court all the time, 
again, my the way I look at it is that do I want to go, you know, for, a flu, for if I have the flu, do I want to go to a doctor that's going to tell me, oh, listen, we're going to go to surgery. Don't worry, I've done many surgery. No, I just have the flu. <laughs> that's so, all yeah. I have. So the reality is that yes, you want somebody to be able to do to go all the way if they need to, but the reality is. It's not in your interest. It's not in the insurance company's interest to go all the way to court. For sure. It's expensive, That's why right? It's very expensive. It's unknown. That's why most of these claims, if they're handled correctly from the beginning, end up in some kind of a settlement uh, uh, structure, I, either a meeting, a settlement meeting, a mediation, something that allows the parties to come together and resolve the case. And, you know, frankly, a lot of cases that end up going to court go to court because the lawyers haven't done what they should have done in the, mm-hmm. the beginning and, and, and dealt with the case in the proper way. And that forced uh, the insurance company's hand. Or they're extreme cases. Or right? they're extreme cases. Yeah. Sometimes there are extreme cases or sometimes there is such different opinions about the case that there is no choice but to go to court. But very, very rare. So, so for the email here from Laura, her friend should not be pressured to go to court. There are a lot of considerations that go uh, with it. And uh, I... I would just tell her to just have a very in-depth discussion with her lawyer about the reasons of, of having to go to court. 416-216-5910. That is Savannah's number. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Take a uh, quick break. And lots more coming up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio, AM 640. Contact is easy. 416-216-5910 to get hold of Savan or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you prefer the email route, we're going to talk about uh, some updates here about accident injuries. I'll throw some questions uh, at you, and you can answer them, I know, swiftly and accurately, Let's like you it. always yeah. do. Uh, how important is it to uh, tell the employer uh, about an accident? Some people are, are, are resident to do so, right? They don't want to do it. Well, it's very important for a variety of reasons, uh, not the least of which is that if you need monitoring, duties or if you need uh, some kind of uh, time off uh, from from work uh, the employer is going to ask why obviously and you're going to bring a medical note but one of the one of the primary reasons that I tell people uh, to advise the employer of the accident is is that at some point during the claims process if, if you are saying that your ability to work has been impacted the insurance company is going to ask for some records from some verification from the employer. They're not going to contact the, the employer. They're going to ask your lawyer to contact the employer to yep. get this verification. Well, if the, if the lawyer, if I'm being asked that, and I then contact the employer and the employer's records don't indicate anything about an accident, that just looks weird. Yeah. It looks suspicious. So, again, it's all about papering the file, documenting. Uh, if the insurance company sees that clearly you told the insurance company you were in an accident, you're requesting some time off or modified duties, it's backed up uh, by a doctor's note, a specialist note, something like that. Again, it makes everything look legitimate. Uh, it gives credence to your claim. And the insurance company really has no way uh, of, uh, of discrediting you and telling you that, no, you should be able to go back to work because clearly the, uh, uh, the injuries are not severe enough because you haven't told your employer because you had told your employer. So very, very important to make sure that there is a record with your employer that you were injured in an accident, and that's the reason why you're asking for either time off or modified duties. But you should never be afraid of it. Just do it, right? No, you should never be afraid of it. And, and you know, we've had situations where obviously people have advised their employers and then there was a, a negative reaction from the employer. But, you know, the employer has a duty to accommodate. Uh, my partner, Lior, who does the employment hour right after me, uh, he always talks about that, but the fact that the employers do have a, a duty to accommodate. And, and in situations, John, where... 
uh, employers have done something in retaliation for the employee asking for time off or, or for modified duties. Like what? Give uh, an example. Well, we've had situations where employers have actually uh, either let somebody go or, wow. or uh, uh, somehow penalized them. Well, I'll tell you, they can't do that. Uh, and, and, and frankly, we have enough lawyers in the office who can deal with that if that happens. So, so not to worry, but it's very important that uh, you're on the up and up and you're advising your employer of the reason for the, for the request for time off or for the modified duties. We're talking about questions that have come through email and phone calls over the last uh, year or so on the show. How about this one? How often should an injured person visit their family doctor to update him or her on about the injuries and the employer too? So that's a very good question as well. Uh, I, I usually position my answer in the following way. Uh, if you are in an accident, be it a slip and fall or a car accident, motorcycle accident, uh, in January of 2014, and, and then January of 2015, a year later, you're starting a claim and the insurance company is requesting the family doctor's records, and the insurance company sees that in that past year, you've only gone to the family doctor once or twice, uh, and you've had no other treatments uh, or or visits to a medical practitioner, they're going to ask, like anyone else, well, how serious can the injury really be, right? So I'm not saying that you go to the family doctor for the pure purpose of papering the file, but what I'm saying is that you have to understand that if you're one of those people who just lives through the pain, that's great for you, except that when the insurance company ends up looking at the, uh, at the medical records, they're going to be counting up how many visits you had to the doctor. They're going to look at the notations of the doctor. So, so, John, as an example, let's say you injured your knee, your right knee after the accident, and it's really painful. And a year later or two years later, the insurance company is looking at the family doctor's records and they're seeing that, yeah, you visited the doctor for the last two years 10 times, but only one of those times you've complained about the knee. All the other nine times you've complained about uh, having a cold or, you know, things like that that have nothing to do with your injuries. Again, they're going to say, wait a second, if your injuries from the accidents were so, from the accident were so severe, how is it that in all those visits to the doctor, you're not complaining about those injuries? It simply makes no sense. It's a common sense approach. Adjusters, insurance adjusters, look at it from a common sense standpoint, uh, human nature. So if they're looking at the records and something doesn't jive and doesn't make any sense to them, they're going to raise that. And and usually they're going to raise that as a bar to your recovery for damages. Is it important to your claim if you feel your injuries are such that your family doctor is not not good enough or maybe don't have the expertise in a certain area, neck or back or whatever, to ask to go see a specialist? A hundred percent. And I've told uh, clients to do that, particularly in cases where I, I'm sensing myself not having any medical background, but you know, you're telling me that your shoulder is really hurting you, and the doctor is just saying, "Well, just take those painkillers." <laughs> and I know for a fact. I mean, I've had cases where people who've had, uh, uh, you know, shoulder injuries or, or uh, knee injuries, things like that, and and they've gone subsequently to specialists or done MRIs, and they've seen that there was a tear or some kind of a fracture, a hairline fracture, some kind of a cause, an organic cause to the pain. My concern always is that if you're not being diagnosed properly, how can you get the proper treatments? That's the concern. So again, I'm mindful of the argument that is going to be raised by many medical practitioners out there. Don't waste taxpayers' money. You know, it's OHIP. But what I'm saying is that if you have a serious injury, an ongoing injury, you have to make sure that you take care of yourself. And if you feel that your family doctor, your specialist is not doing what they're supposed to, if they're simply saying, oh, just live with it, or it may be this, or it may be that, press ahead. Press ahead and ask for a, a, a referral to another specialist or, or a second opinion or a consult or some kind of an, you know, another imaging. 
you, you have to make sure that you are diagnosed properly because that would lead to proper treatment. You got to trust your spidey sense, right? Like you if have something's to telling you something's up, you're not getting the right treatment. You got to go forth, right? You do, you do. And God knows, John, there's, you know, there are hypochondriacs out there who will uh, go for absolutely anything and everything to de emerge. I'm not advocating that. You're I'm just, just saying that. the medical system. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying that if you know that something is wrong with you and your family doctor is not doing whatever he or she is supposed to do to investigate that, then you go forward. 416-216-5910. That is Savannah's direct number. You want to email us, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to one from uh, from Jerry in Owen Sound. So hang on the, the line, Jerry. We'll get to your email shortly. The Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up. More of it right here on Talk Radio, AM 640. If you want to email Savannah, you can do so. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And the number, 416-216-5910. Promised uh, Jerry we get to his email uh, right now, which we will. Uh, emails uh, you, Savannah, from Owen Sound. Says, I had a fall. In a mall last September because of wetness in the entrance after a rainstorm. No signs of carpets, no signs, pardon me, or carpets. Fell on my right side and broke my hip when I spoke with the insurance company. The person who came to interview me was saying that I wasn't wearing proper footwear. And as a result, it was uh, my fault that I fell. Is that true? Uh, I was wearing flip-flops. Well, Those are improper no matter what. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah, simply from a stylistic standpoint. Uh, John, <laughs> exactly. this, is, this is an argument that insurance companies... Um, they rely on routinely, and frankly, I did as well when I was a defense lawyer, you know, saying that you're not wearing proper footwear. Wow. And it is an argument, but it's an argument that has to be taken in context. This is September. I don't know what the temperature was like, but there's nothing, there's no law against flip flops. There's no law against Crocs. There's no law against any of this oh, stuff. There should be a law against Crocs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, John, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think you're wearing them right now. I am no? not. No, okay. Uh, and, and they're red, by the way. Uh, so. Listen, the, the answer here, Jerry, is that uh, it's not unusual for the, uh, for the adjuster to be telling you this. The reality is that it, it's going to make very little difference in your claim, even if that's the case. And the reason is this. Uh, if you fell on wetness and there were no carpets, uh, there were no signs, uh, it, it was a rainy day, clearly the mall, in my view, did something wrong here. And, and I know that you know, lawyers are going, defense lawyers are going to jump up and, and scream, well, how do you know? How do you know what the system of inspection and maintenance was like? Look, at the end of the day, a mall is a busy place, no matter where. So you have to account for the fact that if it's a rainy day, people are going to drag in water. Uh, And and that means you're going to have to place signs at the entrance. You're going to have to uh, uh, place some kind of of a um, not not, not carpets necessarily, but something there uh, that that will will reduce the likelihood of somebody slipping and falling. Uh, So at the end of the day, if you had those flip-flops, I, I, I don't buy that, that this is the reason why you fell. And even if it was the reason why you fell, the fact is that the mall didn't do what they were supposed to do. So there is going to be liability or negligence that's established against them uh, as you start the claim. Now, you're dealing with a hip fracture, very serious injury. Uh, it's, you're going to have uh, this injury with you for the rest of your life. I can promise you that by speaking to enough hip surgeons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is one of those cases where... Again, remember, John, I say to people, don't meet with insurance adjusters by yourself. Always make sure that there is a lawyer with you, especially true in cases like this where uh, they're going to get this information from you. They're going to put it into a statement form, and then they're going to ask you to sign it. And you may think that you are signing everything that is accurate and everything which Mm -hmm. is what you said, but most times it's not you who's writing it down. It's the adjuster who's writing it down. They're using their words. They're using their phrases, and they understand that liability or fault, which is the crux of these claims, can turn on a word. 
extremely important not to have these meetings, certainly not to sign anything without having a lawyer by your side uh, that's going to look over those uh, statements and, and be corresponding with the adjuster. So I can tell you, John, if I was there with Jerry right now uh, and this was happening, yep. I would look at the adjuster and, 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 and I would say, if this is the way you're going to approach this, we might as well end the meeting right now. We'll start a claim and I'm guaranteeing you that your client is going to be paying my client. And that's the reality. That's what would happen. But look, look, look at what uh, the, the adjuster w- was, was doing here. He was telling Jerry that effectively he has no case. That's essentially what he's saying. Yeah. You were flip-flops. It was your fault. You have no case. I can guarantee you, John, I don't know the number, the statistics. I can guarantee you that many people like Jerry who've had that told to them by someone whom they consider to be an expert in their field, right, yeah. an insurance adjuster. So they're thinking, well, if they're telling me it's my fault. It must be my fault. It must be my fault. I might as well not start a claim. Oh, well, shucks, how oh, many darn. Yeah. millions of dollars have insurance companies saved by having these adjusters talk face-to-face with individuals who've had no legal representation, giving them essentially false information? So again, very important that if you have this kind of an injury, any injury really, where someone else is potentially at fault, you get the proper legal advice. And you know, John, people call me all the time. They email me all the time. Within a few minutes of speaking with them, I can tell them if they have a case or not. It's not difficult to do. Uh, and it's also not difficult to contact me. Uh, I have my phone on my hip all the time. Mm-hmm. I answer uh, emails uh, religiously to my wife's chagrin. And, <sighs> and uh, you know, the reality is that if you even think uh, that you may have a claim, uh, better, better safe than sorry. Just contact me and I'll let you know. It could all be avoided. Just stop wearing flip-flops and <laughs> Crocs. be a perfect world. Uh, right. 416-216-5910 and help Let's talk about some insurance questions. Uh, we talked a while back yes. about misrepresentations to insurance companies. What's the danger of telling an insurance company uh, that you're a primary driver, but it's really someone else in your family? Okay, so so this is for everyone out there who thinks that they can save a few bucks. That's uh, why they do it. Yep. Yeah, they do, exactly. By uh, by doing certain things and telling the insurance company certain things when they're getting insurance. Look, I'm not a broker, but but I'll tell you, I've, I've had... Uh, I have enough experience uh, dealing with insurance companies uh, to know that insurance companies don't take it lightly when you're giving them the wrong information. So I- if you really live uh, in Toronto, but you're giving them a Barrie address uh, or, or another a, a rural area where you live, and that's not really the case because you want to save a few bucks, right? Because the premium is going to be higher if you live in Toronto. If you're in an accident and the insurance company finds out about that, you're going to have a problem. They're going to tell you, you misrepresented this information, you effectively have no coverage. That creates a whole bunch of headaches. You're going to end up paying lawyers God knows how much down the road. And unfortunately, people end up uh, calling me and and I have to then find creative ways of trying to help them because if you misrepresent something to the insurance company and the insurance company takes an off-coverage position, it's going to cost you money. But I mean, you're going to have to come to somebody like me because not coming to somebody like me is going to mean that you potentially may have to pay a lot more. Much worse off. Much worse off. And to get a hold of you, it is 416-216-5910, and the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show straight ahead on Talk Radio AM 640. The contact email and number as follows, 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We've got an email from uh, from Ben here in Toronto uh, for you. Savannah says, my wife has been on long-term disability for three years now and as a result of cancer. And the adjuster started calling recently, saying that because she's in remission, she would be able to go back to work. Nice guy. Uh, but her oncologist advises against it. Every time this adjuster calls, my wife has a panic attack. You can imagine why. What uh, what can we do to stop him from calling and harassing her? Oh, boy, uh, Ben, what you can do is you can call me, and I'll make sure that he stops harassing her. Uh, this is... Uh 
this is close to my heart. Uh, my mother had battled cancer, and I had to deal with um, with issues surrounding uh, her disability back then as well and her workplace. And I can tell you this is completely inappropriate. If the oncologist, if the treating specialist says, in my medical opinion, this person should not be going back to work, that's the end of it. That's it. And the fact that these insurance adjusters, a lot of them, uh, don't pay heed to that. They don't, uh, they don't listen uh, and they just do whatever they want because they want to save their uh, their masters, uh, the insurance companies, a few bucks. Completely inappropriate. And I'll tell you, in most of these cases, when I have a case like this, Ben, uh, I, I tack on a claim for punitive damages. I, I ask the courts to punish the insurance company for this. Uh, completely inappropriate. So, Ben, have your wife or you call me, and I'm guaranteeing you that they will not be – first of all, they're not going to be talking to her. Second of all, uh, there's not going to be any issue here. We're going to come to a resolution with the insurance company, and they're going to be happy to pay her. We're talking about insurance and uh, you know driving with or having a different primary driver under your insurance uh, policy. What other types of mis- uh, misrepresentations do you typically see that people should avoid, by the way? Uh, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of people who uh, get, get into uh, trouble when they tell the insurance company that they live in a, in a rural area uh, versus an urban area. So like I said before, if uh, you, know, you live in Toronto and you say that you live somewhere north, west, east, somewhere where the insurance premiums are less, uh, I've seen situations where um, uh, people don't tell the insurance company that they're using the car for a certain purpose. Like, for example, uh, you deliver pizza. Uh, cl- ah, clearly, right. that call. means right. Clearly, that means that you're using your car for a different purpose than just uh, for for social purposes or going to work. You're actually using it for work. So the risk to the insurance company is different. So again, understand that by not telling the insurance company everything or your broker, you're potentially exposing yourself to a situation where down the road the insurance company says we are not covering you. You're in an accident. Sorry, you're on your own. Uh, uh, you know the, the benefits are compromised. Uh, we're not going to pay for for your vehicle for replacing it or for repairing it. Uh, another very important thing to remember is this, and, and I see this actually quite a lot. Uh, let's say you have uh, parents um, getting a car for their 16, 17, 18-year-old kid, and they are putting themselves as the primary drivers, but in reality, it's the, it's the kid, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the boy or girl who is uh, in charge of the car, who is driving the car. Again, remember, why are parents doing that? Because the premiums are less. If there is an accident, insurance company finds out that this is not the case, that really it's the child that is the primary driver, the insurance company is going to have an issue with it. So again, it's very, very important to make sure that you're completely upfront with insurance companies. They have a right to know. I mean, you are effectively entering into a contract with them. You are paying them for certain coverage, and and they are giving you a quote, or the broker is giving you a quote, on the basis of the information you give them. So it's common sense that if you give them uh, wrong information, they're going to come back later and say, wait a second, had we known this, we would have charged you something differently. So essentially, there is no contract. No contract was established because we didn't know that you gave us the false information. Very, very important to uh, to be completely honest with the insurance. Company. I've known people that have registered their cars and insurance under nine hundred five when they're living downtown. Just for that, ex- me too, John. Exact me too. And I'm telling right. you, it's a problem, and, and and it's a ticking time bomb, and they just don't realize it. Uh, and I know because people come to me when they're in that position where they get that letter from the insurance company saying, "Sorry, we're not covering you. There was a misrepresentation." Uh, and guess what, John? Let's say you're in a car accident. As an example, you are at fault for the car accident. Mm-hmm. You misrepresented this. You told the, uh, the insurance company that you're living in a 905 area, but it's really the 416, and the premiums were supposed to be a bit more uh, because of where you live. You're in a car accident. The insurance company writes you a letter after finding out that you misrepresented. 
Uh, by the way, let's say you've been sued for that car accident. Right. Insurance company finds out. They tell you, John, you're on your own. We're not covering you. What do you do? Exactly. What and do I do? get these phone calls, and they're frantic. And you know, one of the first questions I ask people when they call me is I say, well, do you own any assets? Now, do you have a house? Do you have it? And a lot of people do. They have, uh, you know, they don't own the house fully, but they own it with their spouse, whatever. Well, guess what? By, misrepresent- yeah, by misrepresenting to the insurance company uh, and them taking the position that they're taking, you have now compromised your assets because you are now exposed. If there is a judgment against you, you have no insurance backup. There is no umbrella to, to, uh, to cover you. So, so please, everyone out there, just when you ask certain questions, where you live, what do you do, what do you use the car for, who's the primary driver, all these kinds of questions, be absolutely honest. And the other uh, piece of advice that I usually give people is use a broker. Use a broker because, again, brokers know what to ask, uh, and they're supposed to look out for you. I wish the one thing, and I don't know how much legalese there could be put on this, but I know people as well as not only insuring their cars out of town in smaller smaller areas. I've known people that will take the driving test in Lindsay because they're too scared to learn and take their test in Toronto, which to me is completely illegal. Because they're going to be driving here every day, but they don't want to. They don't want to take their test in Toronto because they won't pass it on on, on an eight lane road. But they'll take it in Lindsay just so they pass. Yeah, listen, that's I brutal. Hear you. I, but, but the reality is that at the end of the day, if you have a driver's license and it's valid, mm-hmm. and the insurance company asks you, do you have a valid driver's license? I know the answer is yes. You don't have to yep. tell them where you took it. I know. So that's not an issue. You answer the questions that are given to you. You're not you're not you're not expected to volunteer more information. Right. Just answer honestly and truthfully the questions that are being asked of you. Until next week, the number 416-216-5910. You want to reach Savan right now after the show. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. And make sure you check out injurycalculator.ca as well. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM 640.